Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, an audio equivalent of a glass of water after a big night out, making the inevitable hangover just a little bit more bearable. My name is Sammy James, and I'm joined by three gents who can speak with authority on many Fulham-related subjects. Firstly, a man who is a go-to on fan issues and nuclear energy, it's Tom Greatrix. Hello. A lethal combination there. Uh, secondly, a man who's your go-to on false nine and Getafe's impending fourth-place finish in La Liga. It's Ben Jarman. Hello, Sammy. And finally, a man who is still telling everyone that will listen about his four goals that he scored in five-a-side the other week. It's Farrell Monk. <laughs> I don't know when that happened, but all right then. Must have been no keeper. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was it, after the game had finished. <laughs> it was a discussion in the pub last week when Farrell wasn't there. They're like, oh, he told you about his four goals, did he? Yeah, he's told everyone about his four goals. Uh, so in today's podcast, we're going to be looking back at Saturday's Leicester defeat. As we've got Tom in the studio, we're going to be speaking a little bit about the, uh, the ticket price protest and there's a Fulham Supporters Trust survey of course Tom is the chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust and we have a very special question section today Uh, you may have seen my tweet last night where I asked for questions not related to this season or really related to Fulham and we got an amazing breadth of responses so I really want to dedicate a big part of today's podcast just because at the end of the day this season is getting more and more depressing by the week so just anything to lighten the mood a little bit and and just move things away from this season because we realise that you're listening to this week in, week out and we really appreciate the dedication but ultimately there's only so many ways we can skin a cat and uh, talk about defeats <laughs> week after week. So, um, Ben, I've put you in charge of three-word reviews today. Yep. Uh, as ever, it was defeats. So there's always some good ones. Uh, what yep. came through? We had over 100 responses and I'd say 50% of them come from Richard Bamba. <laughs> um, but I'd like to start with one from Marissa Cardoni who said, Fulham were outfoxed. Yep. And I think we'll follow that up with one from Arsh who says, you cannot polish a turd. We cannot polish turds, <laughs> which is good. And then I think we'll finish with one from Matt Wall who says, pray for Roma, and we all are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, I hadn't factored that into my show plan, but we do need to dedicate a little bit of time to the amazing news that Ranieri was only jobless for about eight days. Um, <laughs> big up to Marisa, by the way. She sits next to me. Uh, she's at Craven Cottage. Good to hear from her. Right, just to say the season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So let's look at Saturday's Leicester game. It was a 3-1 defeat. It's another defeat for Fulham. Uh, no win since the end of January, no draw, no points since the end of January. It's a barren run that we're on with uh, City and Liverpool to come up, which is uh, going to make life easier. Um, Farrell, Scott Parker, though, went with an unchanged team, which I think everyone kind of expected after the good performance against Chelsea. And, and I was pleased to see it for one. Yeah, I've got no qualms this side uh, about Scott Parker's uh, set up and shape and, and the personnel that were put put in there. Um, it was definitely square, pe- uh, square pegs in square holes, uh, which is nice to see, which is something that, um, that has been lacking in the past few months under the aforementioned Ranieri. Um, but, you know, we just couldn't get out of the couldn't get out of first gear in the first sort of, you know, 20 minutes or so. Uh, Leicester pushed up on us, which is completely different under their under their previous manager. Um, and you know, the, every time it went into any sort of midfield position, they pounced on us. We couldn't really 
get out of our our own our own half every time that the ball broke down Leicester Leicester just pushed on and broke through us really really quickly and that was that was not really what we wanted to see after quite a positive performance against Chelsea last week yeah well Tom sometimes lack of passion is actually just the other team doing an amazing tactical Mm. job on you and sometimes it comes across like it looks like the players don't care or have given up or have got no fight but that first 45 minutes I'm just willing to say that a few players just had no morale and and had given up the game early doors it really looked that way and and I don't know I just I felt like the character out there was was wrong was really really wrong yeah, I think like everyone else there, I was expecting following you know the performance against Chelsea for us to come out and really show a bit more. I mean, I have to say with Leicester, they looked like they were the opposite, a team that had been, you know, it's a group of players that had been released from working to a system that they obviously didn't suit and, you know, a new lease of life. And how long's Rogers been there? A week and a half? Yeah. And they looked, I thought every time they broke from the field, they looked frightening and they looked back to, you know, reminded you of the year they won the league, really, to some extent. And um, our defence just couldn't cope with it as well. So I think it was yeah, it was a pretty pretty poor first half, all in all. Apparently, there's this thing called a new manager bounce. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've not heard of it, but some teams kind of talk about it as if it's a thing, Ben. Um, and maybe Leicester benefited from one of those bizarre things. Um, Leicester were strong from the outlet, outlet though, and uh, Tielemans particularly, not mm. just because he scored the goal, looked like he was desperate to to get on the score sheet and make things happen. I mean, what what a wonderful player he is. Well, Tielemans is a guy that's got a point to prove, actually, because for many, many years at Anderlecht, he was tipped to have a massive move to somewhere in Europe and that only materialised this summer, just gone. And I think you need to remember that Tielemans is either just tw- 21 or 22 years old and he's been on the scene since he was 16. And yeah, I think he really showed his desire and his hunger to make a mark on the Premier League. And unfortunately, his move to Monaco didn't work out at all. And that's the same for pretty much everyone that Monaco bought this summer. Just gone, the likes of Golovin, etc. But he's found a new lease of life at Leicester. Mm. And it really showed, and especially with Rogers pushing him up into a little bit more of an advanced role than we normally see him in. I think Puel had him playing slightly deeper. And, you know, his passing range and creativity and always forward thinking really worked well in terms of with Madison and Vardy. Well, let's come on to the goal. Leicester had several good chances before they actually did end up taking the lead. And I think there was a last ditch tackle from Norvite to pretty much deny Vardy a, a certain goal. Um, it came from Farrell, a, a Chambers mistake in the middle. I feel like I don't want to give Callum Chambers too much of a hard time and and after that it still felt like opportunity to try and rectify the mistake but it was the writing was on the wall for for a long time before the actual goal went in for me it just happened to be that Callum Chambers was the one caught out yeah there was like three or four times before the goal went in when it was almost carbon copy uh, chances for Leicester where the ball would be broken down in the midfield whether it was Chambers or McDonald or whoever it was was the culprit at any particular time and then the ball was just played through to to an onrushing attacker there was a couple of there was like one that was offside there was one that went um, went through to Rico uh, but it was writing on the wall like you know the ball would break down they'd play it through to Vardy and then you know either Vardy would have a shot or, uh, and or he, this particular time he just played it through to Tielemans who dropped his shoulder and passed it into an empty net which just is kind of you know it, it doesn't feel like there has been that many goals like that in the, uh, this season but 
you know, you can probably pick out 10, 10, 15 times when that has happened this season. Um, and I don't really want to lay blame on Chambers or anyone like that. But, you know, it was just it's sloppy from sloppy from every player in that back sort of like five or six that, that in the first 20 minutes, really. That double pivot that they're playing with Chambers and McDonald seems to me to have some sort of um, correlation between or like parallel to the one that we played with Parker and McDonald all those years ago under mm. Slavisa when he first joined feels like that tandem doesn't work if you're going to have someone with McDonald they need to be a little bit more dynamic than Chambers is and I think it's vice versa and Chambers needs exactly the same thing I don't necessarily believe that those two players um, suit each other and I think the performance against Chelsea was more of a we need to make a mark here than a case of you know they could actually complement each other quite well I don't think they do that much yeah. at all why was it so easy though for Leicester to press us what was making their life just such a dream in that first half I mean it was it was a sh- almost a shock really at half time that Leicester weren't two or three up given their dominance in the first half but tactically what did Scott Parker get wrong in that first half to make it so easy for the host it wasn't to me like Scott Parker got a huge amount wrong it was more of the fact that Brendan Rodgers got a lot right and he identified key areas of the pitch where you have to press Fulham and, and make the mistakes and Obviously, the two that he pinpointed earlier on were McDonald's and Chambers very, very early. I, it's that team that we played on the weekend versus the team that played us under Ranieri and when they were in the midst of hating Claude Puel was completely different. That I've never, indeed, he looked a great player again. And when he played at Craven Cottage, he looked a shadow of what we can expect from him. And he pressed high, he harried, he made... Um, McDonald and Chambers make a lot of mistakes and they look dynamic they look to spread the play quickly they look to spread it you know incisively and Damari Grave is finding acres of space where Fulham just seemed to be a little bit too long mm. um, in, in between the lines and the passes needed, were longer than they needed to be and also very very slow when we were in possession and almost languid at times it's quite baffling yeah absolutely um, and you're quite right in saying that, that Fulham were just way too long and um as much as our wide players uh, tried to sort of make something happen, but when your nearest sort of attacking players around you and your nearest support are at least 20, 30 yards away from you, it's 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 difficult going. There were there was so many points where, you know, it would go out to Sessegnon or Babel and they would just look up and unfortunately they're not the type of players that are going to take on opposition fullbacks you know, quite a lot. They try and look for like one twos, especially Sessignon in particular, who unfortunately had an absolute stinker. Um, it's 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 a difficult time for them. Brian didn't really support enough. I did I did actually quite like his performance overall, but he didn't really support Sessignon enough. And uh, Adoy, the amount of times that he did support, and he was actually looking to drive forward with it, but he would get it he would get it too far right and wide, and he would hug the touchline too much. And you know, from then on, if he's trying to cross the ball. 50 yards into Mitrovic who's on his own in the box it's 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 difficult going you know some of the best players in the world struggle with that really Tom what's your thoughts on Sessegnon he's clearly having a, a bad time of it um, is the best solution to keep playing him maybe to give him a couple of months off I don't know I, I would be not surprised if he I'd be surprised if he starts against Liverpool after the performance that Floyd Aite put in. I just don't know what the best thing to do with him is, and because he he is providing no impact. And but then again, whenever I see his name on the team sheet 
for some reason I'm happy and thinking that this is the day where Ryan Sessegnon's going to do something magic and it, it just doesn't seem to be working for him at the moment and no, it's, and it's not a great situation it's not and as as far as you can tell it, it seems like his confidence is shot that's um you know it must be hard as well for you know we all know how old he is don't need to say it because everyone <laughs> tells us all the time um and that maybe the the best thing for him is to you know is to give him a bit of a break um and use him sparingly towards the end of the season try a few different things i mean i think i don't know how much of this is tied up with what might or might not happen next season in terms of players that we'll keep and that sort of stuff. But you've got to say that um, you know he's he's not performing anywhere near as well as he was even uh, earlier various points in this season, yeah. let, let alone last season. And that's difficult to to watch because we want him to do well. And you know he's so such a spectacular talent that we now know what he can do. We want to see him getting back to to doing that again. So I think yeah, I think I think he's someone who needs a. He's be treated with a bit of care and probably given a bit of a break, I think. I mean, he's not a player that hasn't done something for us in the Premier League this season. I mean, you just I always remember the game against Wolves on Boxing Day where he came off the bench and he just mm. lit up the game, didn't mm. he? He made it. I know he scored the goal and maybe that uh, makes things a bit more rose-tinted, but he, he came on and made such a difference and just that's really lacking from him at the moment. I can't see many clubs looking at Sessegnon at the moment and thinking that's a great way to spend... 50 million plus this summer unfortunately I think that he's he, he's become a bit of an easy target in inverted commas because he is like you know the most famous player in our team I suppose um, but the team is so shot of confidence uh, that yeah. especially in that first half it's it's you know I do think like I said he did have an absolute stinker everything he did try was just came to naught and but the whole team is 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 completely shot of confidence um, you know I thought the you know the most assured player on the pitch was probably Nordweit in the first half, but a couple of his even his passes were a bit, you know, pants basically, you know, and it's it's easy to look at Sessegnon and and think well he's probably our most potent potent winger if you look at his Fulham career as a whole and if he's not doing the business then the whole team aren't performing well. Well, that's the thing, and and you know Babel hardly had a great performance. There was quite a funny. Uh, text tweet i know on the bbc sports updates and someone said i think the last time that Babel made a successful cross was 2007 (laughs) (laughs) and so i think like sessignon isn't the only one i guess he's maybe the one that we care about and i don't if Babel's not performing for us i I couldn't really care less apart from the fact that I want him to perform because then the team would do well. But I care about Ryan Sessegnon. I'm emotionally invested in Ryan Sessegnon. I'm like mm. a proud parent on the touchline <laughs> wanting him to do well. I couldn't care less about the other 10 kids. I just want Sessegnon to do better. Um, but, uh, Ben, you'll be very, very pleased to see the performance that your man Floyd Aite put in in the second yeah. half. Came on and changed the game. Yeah, it's nice to see Floyd back and having a positive impact on the game. I don't think we've seen that for probably about 18 months now um he's just been like dealing with a lot of injuries isn't he um but it was nice to see him back nice to see him being direct and i thought the run for his goal was fantastic yeah you could probably lament the defending a little bit but i thought he he looked up and got in space really really well a little bit fortuitous with the touch but to see one of our wingers drive at opposition defenses and really look to get into the space that they've been afforded was really refreshing and I thought we could have done a little bit better with the finish. It's very fortuitous again, but mm. it's just nice to see him back. I think, you know, he really took the game to Leicester when he had the chance to, and I think that's something we've been missing. Like you say, Sessignon relies quite a lot on one-twos. Um, you've got Barbel, who plays almost certainly within himself and looks for the small spaces, and you don't really have that winger that can come on and drive like Aite does. 
Yeah, completely. I mean, I was really impressed. Uh, he's the second ever Togolese player to score in the Premier League. Of course, the first one is... Adebayo. Yeah, smashed it. Good <laughs> a bit of uh, trivia for you there. But yeah, it was a wonderfully taken goal by Floyd. And then after that, the confidence that it gave the team just one goal. It suddenly mm. seemed to transform us. And for 20 minutes, I thought that... Fulham were the most likely to score. Mitrovic um, had a header tipped wide by Schmeichel after a brilliant cross by Joe Bryan. I mean, mm. Joe Bryan in the past few weeks for me is definitely our most improved player. It's, it's it's amazing. He's come on leaps and bounds. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, I like Joe Bryan. I think I think you're right. He's sort of since he's been in the team a bit more, he's um, he's got better each each week, and that mm. can only be a good sign for for next season I think that 20 minutes or so you know when we had that after scoring the goal it was you could you could sense as well that the crowd the you know the, the Fulham crowd were really up for that as well and it was sort of it was really nice for 20 minutes yeah there was that I mean it, 20 it felt minutes. good didn't it that you were going for it and you know you could you could get behind them again and it was you know Mitrovic obviously had that header that was you know just a bit wide and a bit slow probably and but there were other there were other other possession other chances um and just it was a bit like the Leicester home game, actually. You know, when it was, we should have won that, and I feel I felt like on Saturday we should really have scored a second goal, and then it would have been a different different ending. I think the the, the real influencer in that twenty minutes was Joe Bryan himself. He yeah. was, seemed to be wanting to take on the entire Leicester team. That he did, I think he did a couple of nutmegs, a few tricks here and there, and everything was going absolutely bang bang right for him at, at the moment. And they couldn't really, you know, I did I didn't think that I'd be saying that Leicester couldn't handle Joe Bryan for 20 <laughs> minutes. Um, but, you know, I agree that Joe Bryan really has grown this season. Obviously, he had that injury early on the early on this season that really started. First game, wasn't yeah. it? It was against Palace. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's good to see, you know, he's, he's certainly one that will look to hang on next year and we know he's championship ready. We know he's, he's decent. Yeah. And, you know, there's <clears> that, that cross for Mitrovic was, you know, kind of if we want to say classic Joe Bryan but I think it's also quite intelligent for Mitrovic that he literally put himself bang in between the two two centre halves and got a fairly decent header on it um, he just needed to hit, head it into the ground heads yeah. that into the ground it's a goal I think you make it too easy when you don't because it's that it's that reaction that the goalkeeper has less time he just went for the far post and I thought he missed that trick against Chelsea as well when he w- tries to lob Keppel yeah. with the header and just head that into the ground yeah. meter. I know it doesn't necessarily look as impactful and maybe is it's not the bullet header that you want, but it's way more effective. But yeah, I thought Joe Bryan was fantastic. Made Ricardo Pereira, a very, very good right back, look very ordinary for, for 20 minutes. It was unfortunate though. Uh, Fulham were dominant and, and the Olays started in the in the Fulham end <laughs> because we were passing it about. And it was as soon as the Olays started yeah. that Nordweitz, poor ball to McDonald. I think he put... Kevin McDonald in a world of trouble, robbed by Madison, and then that just classic ball to Jamie Vardy that Madison has really um, developed this season. And I mean, as soon as it left Madison's foot and and Norvite and and uh, and Brian were out of position, it you just knew exactly what was about to happen, didn't you? Yeah, the writing's on the wall when you get someone of Jamie Vardy's calibre running through the middle of your defence and he's one on one with the keeper. And yeah, I think. It, his quality showed throughout Vardy is a guy that was shackled by Puel and seems to have been released by Roger so from an England point of view it's quite nice to see him getting back into some sort of form but obviously if you support Fulham then having him running at your defence is absolutely terrifying so yeah, yeah. Uh, and Leicester sealed it on shortly afterwards I just thought Dennis Dodoy was a bit weak against Harvey Barnes there I, I, I don't really want to knock Dodoy too much I don't think he at the right back is the main source 
of all of our problems. But yeah, that was just a little bit. I remember against Man United when he played at right back. I remember finding him a bit oh, weak God, against yeah, Ashley yeah. Young, didn't he, for that yeah. first goal? Just sometimes needs to toughen up, foul him. Do well, anything. He took much, he took too much of a risk. It was a tired tackle. It, it, it's not right what we need at the time. You know, the game was stretched and whatnot. He needs to sort of, you know, hold him off uh, and make him make him turn back inside. And you know, unfortunately, the the header back was 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 unfortunate. But he did everything wrong then, and you know. I think Odoi made a mistake within his first minute and we were like, okay, that's Odoi's mistake out for the game and obviously it wasn't. We were wrong. So Yeah, I think there was an there was a a part of the game where Joe Bryan needed to be a little bit stronger as well. I can't remember. Oh, it was when Pereira got round the back of him and and squared back and fortunately I think Leicester missed the chance. But there both wing backs need to be a little bit more assertive with their challenges because they will just get taken advantage of. I think this is a, a big thing for Fulham is that we're very naive still and it's just it's really demoralising to be saying this after 30 games of the same naive mistakes but we should be wise like we should wise up to it mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I think it's just symptomatic of what's happened with our defence pretty much all season really they're just they're just not up to being able to play against decent Premier League opposition in a way that you can you can you know you can rely on them I think that's that's been the story all the way through the season and um, you know we've got to think about that in terms of next year in terms of how good our defence is and if we're building to try to come back up that there is a big gap between what you can get away with in terms of naivety or frailty however you want to describe it mm. in Championship as opposed to Premier League Yeah 100% I mean would anyone be opposed to Maxime Lamarchon replacing Tim Ream I, I feel like I keep banging this drum No, but I just I I personally just feel like Lamarchon is a better defender. Well, yeah, he's, than, he's than, got than better. He's got better pace than Tim Ream as well, and Ream gets caught out quite often. So I, I would quite welcome Norvite back. I'm just, I really miss Alfie Mawson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was a tweet tweet that went around the other day. It was like there's only been I think it's nine games that Fulham have let, let in less than two it's goals. Six. We've conceded tw- oh, more than two. We've six. conceded two or more in twenty-four of the thirty yeah. league games. So there's six, and then Mawson started five of them. Yeah, I think it's no, it's well. no, it's no coincidence. <laughs> I mean, Alfie Mawson's also been there for a few absolutely shambolic games as well in yeah, terms of, of defence, but he definitely, definitely makes a difference. And I actually think him and Norvite. I know, Norvite, nice I know Norvite made that mistake for the second goal and it was a poor pass, but ultimately I think he's quite composed. I don't think he's a terrible player at all. And he's, I think... a, he's a defensive midfielder playing centre-half. Yeah. That's why he's so composed. Yeah. Also, if Fulham could stop doing that as well, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying that the um, great escape will start when Mawson is back? Fit. Maybe. I mean, it's only thirteen points, so there's yeah, there's there there's always only. A, there's yeah. always a chance. Let's I mean, throw a couple of spanners in the uh, title race in the next couple of weeks. Then it's it's so bleak, isn't it? <laughs> the the situation. I was speaking to Tom beforehand. There is a chance we can get relegated in March. More than a chance, and only one team has been relegated in March before, and that was Derby County. In that, what, when they had eleven points, yeah. yeah, only one team has been relegated in March before, and, well, and it could we, be us. Can we get relegated on points? I think we can be no, almost we can. relegated because we can we, be eighteen points behind with six games to go. So yeah, for, and obviously a lot worse goal difference, but that isn't quite mathematically relegated, is it? I mean, so we Huddersfield d- can, but we can't then. Yeah, 
Wow. Well, yeah, actually, that's one thing. We won't be the second team to do it because if, because you'd imagine that Huddersfield will will get there before us. But no, I think we can. I because wouldn't put if any you, money on that necessarily. <laughs> if you lose those two games and then all of the teams above us can get that gap, then it would be 19 points. Which Newcastle would be, have suddenly turned know. into the like a, a quite a good form team. They need two more wins and they're safe. Everyone has. Southampton turned it round against Spurs. I mean... What a free kick that was from Ward-Prowse, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Two in two weeks. Unbelievable. I mean, Cardiff are looking rejuvenated. I still don't think they'll have quite enough, but Burnley are in huge trouble. If you've seen Burnley's running, their last four is all against top six sides. Wow. Um, so well, they've basically got three games to save themselves. Well, as we've seen in the in the games against Fulham, they're not a particularly strong outfit, considering we smashed them 4-2 with the early part of the season and then they beat us by only not even shooting on goal so yeah. they are not a strong outfit at all but I mean well, who would you rather come down with us though because personally I would prefer Southampton came down than Burnley because I think in terms of next season uh, that's going to be that's going to be a better team to be playing against because I think they'll lose a lot of players Southampton I think Burnley yeah. have got more chance of keeping Burnley most of their team together yeah. and go back up again they've done it before I yeah. think ultimately Cardiff though I think Cardiff Apple, barely made any signings though did they they'd have a good they'd have another good team obviously in the championship but I, I think that we might have enough to battle Cardiff I just think Southampton would have quite a lot of money to throw throw at it as would as would Burnley uh, um, and us yeah I mean, it's just so bleak, isn't it, really? And, and so ultimately, your your conclusion of the Leicester game, I, I felt like it was, a, it was a gutsy performance in the second half and I was pleased that Fulham did show some fight because at half-time I was genuinely considering just switching it all off and, and not bothering <laughs> at all. I was quite glad I didn't really go to Leicester uh, this weekend. I wanted to, couldn't get a ticket. But um, this, this defence just lets us down week after week, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it was less than a quarter of the game that we were good for. You know, yeah. that's just not... It's just half not half. good enough. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's not good enough. Um, yes, there were flashes of of, of, of some quality, but um, the fact is that, you know, unfortunately our defence isn't good enough. The, the team are really low on confidence. Scott Parker will definitely take, you know, you know, take no fools lightly or um, and sort of like chop and change if he sees that someone's not pulling their weight um, but you know if you're not if you're only playing well for a very very f- small fraction of of a game then it, it's nowhere near good enough and I, you know it's going to be very very difficult to pick up any points between now and the end of the season unfortunately but you know hopefully Lady Luck will shine on us um, there have been games where Lady Luck has decided not to get a ticket for the game and 30 of them isn't it yeah something like that um, and you know, I'm just hoping for what could be a, a a very entertaining last couple of months of the season. You know, let's see, yeah. let's see what more stories we can pack into this eventful. QPR went down with 25 points. That's all I want. I just want more <laughs> 25 points. All right. After the break, uh, we're going to get Tom's thoughts on all things ticket prices, and then that bumper question section that I promised you is coming up. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon and you're listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman. Hello. Farrell Monk. Hello. And Tom Greatrix. Hello. So a couple of uh, managerial things to talk about before we get on to this uh, support, the, the Supporters Trust survey. First of all, uh, Ranieri to Roma. What the hell is that? 
I mean, Ben, you're probably most qualified to uh, mm. to speak about this. Roma obviously went out the Champions League last week to Porto in extra time, and it um, their manager had been under a bit of pressure for for a while, and they're not performing brilliantly domestically. But I mean, have they? Did they not? like check Ranieri's CV for the, it was in an old CV maybe it was he, he was one he submitted back in October and yeah, they just looked at that I think the date said uh, 2016 in the top right hand corner when they <laughs> did it but Ranieri is and always has been Roma through and through he's managed them before he's played for them of is course is he the Martin Allen of Roma <laughs> no he's not been back five times <laughs> um, but no um, he's, he's played for them before he's managed them before he's very much uh, Roman through and through he's Mum still lives out there in Rome, um, but yeah, Eusebio Di Francesco, who's their manager at the moment, um, was under a lot of pressure. They had a wonderful campaign last year. They finished really, really well, um, and it looked like his relationship with Monchi, the famed sporting director from Sevilla, was off to a wonderful start. But unfortunately, both of them now out of a job, and Ranieri is the the only one that is there to steady the ship, unfortunately, and trying to guide Roma back into Europe because there's no guarantee that they're going to get it this year. A lot of Serie A sides have vastly improved. You know, likes of Atlanta, Atalanta out there. Um, you know, you've got the big boys, Juventus, Napoli. Even Lazio look good. Inter are back. AC Milan are up there as well with a huge amount of money. So, yeah, it's probably time for them to go, but I can't see Ranieri doing that well as I tweeted off our account the other day. <laughs> I, I can't offer as much insight as Ben as usual uh, on the European football front but um, you know it, it kind of reminds me of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Man United he's had a pretty poor record um, the Norwegian before getting the job at Man United well caretaker job at Man United but he clearly knows the club inside and out as much as Ranieri does at Roma um, and I, you know he could go in there and know what the team is about. He probably still follows them quite closely um, and say, look, I, I know what you're all about. I'm going to put set you up exactly the same way that you should be playing, the same way that Solskjaer has done at United. Yeah, it's not that like they're a club that is not short on talent. They've got some of, they've got one of the best strikers in Europe in Dzeko. They've got two really big prospects in Kluivert and Zaniolo. And yeah, I think they can, they could probably push for Europe, but it's just whether Ranieri gets some firing or, that new manager bounce only lost one game like it did with us. Yeah. Do you think you did a presentation to their board saying how they could do it all with the players they've got and they'll definitely be in the top four because you <laughs> seem to sort of get him a job before. I also wonder whether he, you know, knowing that the previous incumbent was under pressure before he left us, whether that was the reason why he didn't seem to be that bothered about it when he when he, when he he left us. That bit of clip of him coming away from Motspur Park the day after having said goodbye to the players he seemed pretty chipper to me which was yeah the cynic in me thinks he must have he must have had an idea that he's always like that though isn't he I I, I got this as soon as the job was given to him it was sort of like he's always just smiling and happy like there's no there's no steel to Ranieri and I thought that to be fair I thought that about Solskjaer when he got the job he was always like oh I'm here just to do a job I'm a fan blah 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 and I thought mm. actually that might run thin after a few weeks especially if they encountered some tough results but it seems to have got him through well even after the Kamara incident which I genuinely think he was incensed by mm. Ranieri's incensed was not very looking very incensed was it yeah, it was, was kind of like, like I would want to kill him like it, it does <laughs> <laughs> Claudio are you here <laughs> yeah it's nice to be here do you remember, um, do you remember when Yol uh, just before he got sacked for Fulham uh, he came out and said 
my life won't change if I get sacked, you know, yeah. we'll carry on and whatnot. Well, he said that Fulham aren't expected to win at places yeah. like, like Anfield, which we're not expected. You don't, you don't say it, yeah. uh, Martin. Uh, the other managerial... That's why he didn't have a job for three years after he got sacked by us. The other managerial thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, obviously, uh, Darren Moore has been let go by West Brom. I mean, they did draw to Ipswich, which is a criminal offence this season <laughs> in the Championship, so he deserved everything he got. No. Uh, Steffi Hansen actually scored uh, in that game. It's for, so Darren Moore's final goal as uh, uh, West Brom manager. Um, there is heavy rumours that they're looking to bring in Slavisa. Do we believe these rumours? Um, do we think there's any substance to them? Absolutely. I mean, who's a better candidate in that position to get? They obviously want to get back to the Premier League and quick. More, I think, would Slavisa go rather than whether West Brom would want him? I Why would he not go? Yeah. Well, one reason he might not go is West Brom are in real significant financial difficulty if they don't manage to go up. So if he goes to try to, you know, be the one that gets through that playoff mix, and there's some, you know, there's three good teams, I think, in the championship in the top three places. So it's going to be an outside bet to go up out of the playoffs. If he don't goes there, doesn't manage it, then he's got a basket case of a club potentially next season because of the financial position they're in unless they get have a change of ownership. Mm. And so I think those are the reasons why you would be cautious about it. Um, and they're obviously going to roll the dice and think we're going to can we just get a bit of a bounce, get through, get to the end of the season, and take our chances in the playoffs. And for that reason, I think it might might be more likely David Wagner might be the person they'll go for. Quite possibly. I just don't think Slavis is the man either in that situation to be a real short term go in there. Remember what he did for us short term. Remember his first six months in mm, charge of yeah. Fulham and differing situations because we were fighting relegation kind of um, and, and West Brom are in fourth. So maybe he would have a bit more ammunition to work with. But he doesn't seem to be a go in straight away and do great things. Although arguably that is what he kind of did with Watford. So yeah. I, I don't know. We seem to be riding on a crest and away from the previous manager at Watford. But I mean, in any sort of normal circumstances, why would you, you know, take a job at Watford if you thought it was going to be a long-term thing because they go through managers like I go through burgers, really. <laughs> or pies. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just throw them. <laughs> um, so let's come on to the Fulham Supporters Trust survey, which is part of the reason, Tom, that you popped down today to uh, to, to see us. Obviously, you wanted to give your thoughts on uh, our inevitable defeat at the King Power Stadium, but Fulhamish has launched the Stop the Greed campaign, which is our protest against home uh, match day ticket prices and uh, we raised a thousand pounds in the gofundme and the uh, the banners are being printed and they will be displayed at the manchester city game uh, we're getting flyers as well uh, i don't think we've actually announced that yet but here we go um but in conjunction with that we've been talking to the fulham supporters trust the whole time and you have put been put together a big survey in order to actually present some evidence of this feeling to the club because whilst I think that the banner display will do a lot of good and I think that the Stop the Greed hashtags on Twitter and I think it's certainly something that the club is now aware of but some cold hard facts um, can never be a bad thing Tom so this is launching on Wednesday is my facts correct? That's right yeah we we had a a session with the club today where we went through in detail presentation on ticket pricing and how what we think as a trust they should do for next season if we do stay up and Obviously, a different, a different, slightly different uh, model. If we if we don't, um, but we are staying up, so it's fine. But yes, well, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, but alongside that, I think it's really important that people sometimes try to make a point that you know noise and volume aren't necessarily the same thing, and we want to be able to demonstrate to the club this isn't just 
people on Twitter saying this. This isn't just Fulhamish saying this. This isn't just the Trust saying it. And we've been pressing the club on this almost since the start of the season, I think from September, yeah. about different aspects of this. And you've actually, over that period of time, you've seen them start to acknowledge that they maybe there's an issue here and they maybe have not got it all quite right. I mean, they've not quite gone as far as completely admitting that they got it wrong, but um, you know, they've seen that they haven't been able to sell out games apart from two um, uh, during the whole course of this season. But what's very important is to be able to understand the impact that is happening and has had during the course of this season on people who are Fulham fans and the impact that could have potentially on how people are looking towards next season, regardless of what division we're in. So that's why we're, um, we're launching this survey. It's not, it's a Fulham Supporters Trust survey, but it's not just for trust members. It's for as many Fulham fans as we can get to take part in it. It'll probably take you about 12 to 15 minutes to take part in it. So it's slightly longer than lots of online surveys, but we really want people to be able to to get into that because what we're asking about is whether you've gone to less games as a result of ticket prices, whether that's put you off, whether that's made a difference to who you, you might go with or people you might entice to come along or who have come along in the last couple of seasons at various games, um, wh- whether you've been to more or less games, what's been the cause of that, and also what you think about that in terms of next season. But also, actually, and this is really crucial, I think, and we, we made this point uh, a number of times during the course of the discussion with the club today, but what is this club about and where does its values, its history, its tradition, and where does that where does that sit yeah. in the Premier League? And we we did a lot of comparison. We took a family of clubs, which is us, Crystal Palace, Brighton, and Watford, as you know, smaller Premier League teams, uh, similar size ish, although obviously Brighton's slightly bigger, similar size ish grounds, uh, similar affluence of support, all those different factors yeah. that sometimes used to try and differentiate ourselves. And if you look at that. We're pretty good on season tickets, actually, if you take the yeah. pre-promotion price. Um, and most of our fans are season ticket holders. But we are very much worse on match day prices. Yeah. And making this false argument that, well, we'll keep season ticket prices low because that rewards loyalty, uh, I think misses the point that there's a whole group of people for lots of different reasons that are Fulham fans, they're passionate Fulham fans, they'll go to away games, they can't commit to a season ticket for a whole range of different reasons, they will go to home games. Last few seasons they've probably been to you know uh, a number of several home games. This season, I know of people, you know of people, you talk to people who have not been able to go as many times as they might otherwise do, and at least partly that's because of the prices, particularly for those Category A games. That's something which... I think really is against what our club should be about. And actually what's interesting about this in terms of financial and revenue sense, because obviously we were asked about that, we did a calculation of what the worst possible scenario are between selling out at full Category A prices for every single seat, which we haven't actually done other than twice this season, compared to the model we presented with lower prices behind the goals, and the maximum worst possible case impact is £1.9 million over the course of a season, £100,000 per game. £1.9 million is equal to the difference between finishing bottom and finishing 19th. So that's how marginal it actually is and the impact, the long-term negative impact it can have if you have this wrong. And, you know, the club have set out all their policy relatively early on the season. They've stuck with it. We've said all along we think it's misguided in a number of ways. It needs to be rectified for next season if we're going to get back to a position where you have club, fans, owners, everybody putting in the same direction. And when Scott Parker's been talking about the reset button, well, that applies as much off the field as it does on the field. And this is one way of being able to make a contribution to that is the case we've put. What's good is the club listen very carefully today. They've asked us to go back and present it again to some more of their team. We hope they're going to be able to take 
uh, those uh, points on board. They haven't yet made decisions in relation to match day prices for next season, regardless of which division we're in. And we think they really need to address this if they want to get back to a position where we're all pulling in the same direction. Do you think, though, there are influences, I don't know, from the very top, either from Shahid or people that work kind of as Shahid's right-hand men? Are they are the people that you're speaking to at the club in the position to actually make these big changes? Or is this an overarching strategy coming from the Khans down? Because Jacksonville Jaguars fans are also not very happy at the moment with current uh, price rises going on uh, at their stadium uh, in Florida and then they're having uh, a lot of fan issues as well and I think they think the same thing a lot of away fans go to um, that particular ground as well so is there a a culture change needed amongst the whole kind of sporting group or is this something very much particular to Fulham do you think? Well I think the big decisions that are made at Fulham are obviously made with reference to uh, the owner and some of those who work very closely with him. And on, on this regard, you know, you know that Tony Khan is involved in lots of things. He's not involved particularly in ticketing. Yeah. However, he's also vice chairman of the club and on the board. And this is an issue for the whole of the board. Is the point that we were making this afternoon because, um, you know, it's it's it. At times, Tony Khan and others will say, "Well, why aren't the why aren't the fans getting behind the team more? Or why you know why are people negative about various things?" This is one aspect of a bigger picture, but it's a really, really important aspect. And, you know, as well as talking to people at Fulham, as we do today, we'll be also t- taking this uh, direct to people who are involved at the American end of the of, of, of the operation as well for very much the same reason. They yeah. need to understand, appreciate and amend the way in which they've done things this season. They don't want to have lasting damage. And that's, you know, that's what our role as a trust, I, I think, is, is to be able to you know, highlight where their issues are and they get highlighted in many different ways and through social media and everything else that can be very quick and immediate these days but also to come up with some ideas, options, solutions so that uh, we can be seen as a constructive part of trying to help deal with some of the difficulties which may well people will think have been self-inflicted. Yeah, 100%. Do you feel like this is the issue at the moment that is the biggest one amongst Fulham fans, that the ticket prices, is it... Um, obviously, I know people are very interested in the Riverside developments mm. and, and other aspects uh, of how the club's being run. But it feels for me, for the noise that I'm seeing at the moment, that it does feel like issue number one amongst amongst Fulham fans. But I might be misguided because, of course, we are the kind of centre of the storm with the stop the greed thing. Well, I hope that by people filling in the survey, we'll be able to demonstrate that with data as well as feeling. But my sense of this is that it has become a totemic issue. It doesn't necessarily directly affect uh, the majority of our match-going fans because most have got season tickets, but it does have an impact in how people feel and when they think about what their season ticket prices might be next season and in subsequent years. Mm. And I think it speaks to this wider point about you know the everybody who's been a Fulham fan for a long time knows that in the past we've missed out on building the next generation of fans and when people do that they often talk about child tickets and we're very good on child season tickets you know you get 79 pounds 59 pounds tickets and I think that's actually something the club have done for a number of years and is to be commended but it's that bit that's sort of beyond child and pre people at the peak of their income stream you know young adults um, Mm. which I used to be once a long time (laughs) ago and you know if you make that mistake and you miss out on the opportunity of being able to develop and keep that fan base, including understanding that not everybody's going to be able to commit to a season ticket, so loyalty is not just about season tickets, then I think you make a massive mistake because when things turn a bit, 
and yeah. go bad. You're not going to have the same level of attraction to people who might be fleeting attenders at Premier League games because there happens to be a game on in London and they want to see one while they're while they're in the city. Yeah. You know, that I don't think is a sustainable uh, position for the future. And particularly if, as we very much hope, we're in a position where we're going to, in two and a bit years' time, have a enhanced capacity to fill. You know, we shouldn't be thinking about this just in the context of our current capacity or what we hope next year's reduced capacity will be. But actually, it's about three years' time and how we, if we have a, a ground of about 30,000, that we get that full with as many Fulham fans as we can week in, week out. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think you've said uh, most things that I, I would I would have wanted to have said. Uh, Farrell, obviously, you've been very passionate on this subject uh, as well. And uh, some of your research is really the... Um, the spark that ignited a lot of this because you really went deep into those behind the goal ticket prices and the, and the facts were pretty alarming. Is there anything in the past few weeks that um, you've been thinking or that, that, that's changed your mind and also maybe um, what, what you think might be the importance of this survey as well? Uh, I've got, um, you know, I've got to completely echo and commend uh, Tom's um, points that he's raised and whatnot. He puts it very well, um, you know, with a bit more of a level, level head than I've probably shown uh, over the past uh, number of months about it. Um, what, 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 you know, just going thinking back retrospectively throughout it all was when, when the trust initially went to the club about it back in, I think the first time it was September, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. And, you know, they came back with a very, very black and white response, to use a pun, um, is that, you know, we are supposed to be well I say we Fulham are supposed to be more commercial we've been challenged to be more commercial and this is the way that they're going to do things which you understand as as a business side of things but that's not what the fans want and you know what we've seen as as you know as the season's gone on and some of the stuff that the club are doing and um you know not just with match ticket prices but the way that you uh, they the the club you know, if you if you want to upgrade your ticket, you have to pay pay full price. And, yeah. You know, that's just one example, and how you know they, they we keep raising this issue with the club, and the club have have come back continually and said no, we need to be more commercial. The 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 club is being subsidised, and you know we need to do more and more things. But you know we keep going back to them, and it's only just now it's taken six months of this to actually for them to actually turn around and go. Well, maybe we have made a mistake, and maybe we need to actually listen to our fans a little bit. Um, and I don't know what the the inner workings of of the club have been in that. Uh, what they've said behind closed doors, and whether they go, well, actually, let's just stick at it. Let's stick at it because you know maybe the you know the fans will actually grow to accept it and and whatnot. And you know, one for me, I don't want to accept that. And I think that the stuff that has been put out there that you know although that at the start people gone well this might not be right and I think that now it's been more and more made of an issue you know fans have started started to talk to each other more about you know what our club wants to be and uh, how we appear outside how you know we want to bring friends along and those friends become fans themselves that they're going to be put off by it and I certainly hear from from the fans that I know, not just within Fulham, but also other fans that I've spoken to from other clubs. And the first thing they say, to, the first is alarm and shock. And, you know, it's scandalous. And that's not what Fulham should be about. That's not what football should be about at all. It's just not a, like, it's not a friendly price for a casual fan. I was speaking to a friend of mine at work today. He's an Everton fan. And he said, oh, it's Everton. He doesn't go all that often. I think he's got a young kid. And whilst I'm, we're not in the market of trying to please Everton fans here, um, there's not going to be a ton of 
Everton Evertonians filling out Craven Cottage and he said oh how much is it a ticket for a ticket in that neutral area and I said oh I think it's I think it's 50 pounds and he just was like no and and whilst okay he's an Evertonian maybe it's a bad example I think it's just an indictment of people realizing I like football I want to go but I I just I don't have I don't have that kind of money just to 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 spend on, on on an average match and we'll, we'll we'll see what happens but yeah um where's the details tom of where this survey can be found so the uh, survey this wednesday the survey's on the film supporters trust website which is film which is looking lovely by the way it was a, a, a wonderful job from um <laughs> tom o'dwyer who is the same man who made the fulhamish website if you need a website can you please go to this man if you need a website Very for your good. business or whatever He's exceptional. Um, have a look at our website. Have a look at the Fulham Sports Trust website. They're both beautiful. The content's not so good, but the website's yeah. very well made. <laughs> <laughs> we keep that in you write articles. Yeah. <laughs> um, so go to the Fulham Sports Trust website, uh, fill it in. As you said, 12, 15 minutes. I've already had a look at the survey, though. If that sounds daunting, it really isn't. Um, it, 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 the time kind of flew by for me. I actually found some of the questions actually really interesting, very thoughtful with things about like how much would you actually want to pay for a certain ticket in a certain category. It got me thinking. I was, I was like, oh, okay, and the, the ball's put a bit in your court as a fan. Like, okay, you're in charge then. How much would you set prices at and it did have me thinking a little bit so um yeah excellent work make sure you visit the fulham supporters trust website if you've been involved in stop the greed at all maybe you've given a bit of money for the banner or you're just kind of supporting the work we do this is really important that you do this survey i think if if the fulham supporters trust only go to the club and only 25 fans are filled in this survey it's not going to have the impact and i think you were telling me before the podcast about how spurs have been doing a similar survey for a number of years and had about three and a half thousand people in their latest survey fill it in whilst i don't think i think three and a half thousand is very very ambitious if we can get towards that four figures category it's some real data to present the club with that they almost can't deny can they yeah absolutely the importance of this is getting the volume of the data to be able to demonstrate this is not just a few people who are putting a hashtag on social media or you know saying things and on podcasts or in meetings with the club that this is actually a wider issue that needs to be addressed i think they've got that point but what we need to be able to get them get across them is how much impact that is having on what people do and have done this season yeah. and how they're thinking about next season 100% well uh, we will tweet it from all of our Fulhamish accounts but also make sure you check out the Fulham Supporters Trust and as I always say if you haven't joined yet and become a member of the Fulham Supporters Trust it's only a tenner it's well worth doing uh, should we do some crazy questions yes or did you have another point no. Oh, okay. I mean, I've got, I mean, I've got loads of points, but yeah. you know, I could go about this for days. But I've, I've got 106 ridiculous questions. I feel like I want to answer 106 <laughs> ridiculous questions. I feel like I need to get through some of them. So, as I said earlier in the podcast, um, I just think that I wanted something to lighten the mood for the next few weeks on Fulhamish. Uh, presumably, we're going to be looking at eight defeats in a row after Liverpool and Manchester City. So, we just want something that might make you smile. And we thought the best way to do that was to get some slightly different tangent of questions on Fulhamish for the next few weeks. So, w- there's no way we're going to get through 106 questions. So, what we might do is, if we haven't answered your question today, I'm kind of banking all mm. of the good ones, and we might get through them over over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're starting off with James Andrew a good friend of mine and he has said it's the most liked question so I thought that was the the only place to start as a democracy 
Uh, teams you don't want to go up from the championship and teams you do want to go up from League One, but purely based on the away days you want to do next season. <laughs> So, so it's teams that are. So basically, who do you really, who do you want to make sure is in the championship next season that has a risk of potentially not being in the championship? So, for instance, if you love Norwich away, you'd be like, I don't want Norwich to go up because I want to go mm. to Norwich away. Or you might be thinking, I really want Barnsley to go up because Barnsley's a great away day. Uh, for me, there's a there's a few there's quite a lot there's quite a few in the championship uh, that I haven't been to yet so Barnsley would be good um I haven't been to Luton but um living a significant proportion of my life in Watford you were told (laughs) never to go to Luton and um and I'd really rather not go and uh end up with uh some severe beatings or whatnot um but yeah, uh, Barnsley would be a good one to tick off the list, especially since I've heard it is a pretty good away day. It was it's, class last year. Yeah, um, obviously the result helped as well. Um, I wouldn't like another trek up to Sunderland again because it's it's just it's so far away and not exactly uh, a pleasant um, place. Although the people are very pleasant up there, but you know maybe it's another excuse to have a a weekend in Newcastle, which is 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 always is always fun. Uh, Portsmouth not been to for a, for a long time. I think probably the last time. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be really happy with Portsmouth. Last time was last time I went would have been the Great Escape uh, day, which was yeah. a glorious day. But we'll probably it'll probably end up being on a cold Tuesday night in December or something like that, as opposed to the glorious sunshine in mm. May on the south coast. Do you know what I really want? Looking at the League One kind of playoffs, Donny. Yeah. A real new ground for us. We've not played there before. New grounds. Oh, yeah. uh, I do a family from Donny, so it does make me a little bit biased. But it's a good city. It's a good city. I'd, I'd quite like a bit, uh, a bit of Donny Rovers. Ben, any preference on teams you'd a like to not leave the championship or teams that you'd like to enter it? Um, I'd love for Norwich to stay down, just because for me it's probably one of the easiest away days to get to. Yeah. Um, just a quick. Oh my god, you're going to lose both of them. Yeah, I'm going to lose <laughs> both. Ipswich <laughs> will go, and then Norwich will go up. So yeah, that's <laughs> both of my easier away days done. Um, I've got a really close friend of mine who's a massive Luton fan, and I've been a few times in the past couple of seasons. They play some really nice football, which is actually quite rare for a League One side. Um, They've got some wonderful players and I've only done it in home capacity. But when you go into the away section, you basically have to walk between two houses, which is like going in someone's back garden. And the atmosphere there is pretty good. Also, I know a really good place for cheesy and chilli chips, which is great. Ooh, you changed my mind. (laughs) I'm I'm fully sold. Tom, uh, any any preference? Well, well, one preference is I would quite like Leeds not to go up just because it would be funny. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, no, Luton is... A good away. It's a long time since we played there, but I've been there a few times. Yeah. You won't get beaten up, Farrell. It's just your knees might get crushed because yeah. there's absolutely <laughs> no room um, in there. But it's a, it's a tight little ground, so that's quite good. Doncaster, because it's a new, a new one for us, mm. um, I think it'd be quite good. Uh, and, you know, if... Well, I suppose Sheffield... I always like going to Sheffield. Um, but then I suppose you've got Sheffield Wednesday, haven't you? So if Sheffield United don't go up. So as long as one of the Sheffield teams is uh, 
is still in the division because I think that's always a good city for an away day. Well, yeah, Wigan, Wigan to remain in the championship would be quite yeah. nice. Oh, they're the pies. Mm. The pies in the concourse <laughs> at Wigan. Which someone just told me I bought from Asda, but it's something about... Four cheese pies I had, I had last night. It's great. <laughs> I've uh, just seen that Reading are actually uh, are actually on uh, are in danger of, of going down. What a, what no a shame! Sport, what uh, a yeah. shame. You say it is a shame, but also it is one of the easy, especially in a very northern dominated championship. At least it is an easier one to go but to, if, and it's been a little while now. But it feels like when you are trying to get to the stadium, it does feel like yeah. you are going to mm. the moon. Yeah, it is. It's awful. easier to get back from Leicester than it is to get back from Reading. I yeah, think. absolutely. Sonia Luca went on loan to China the other day. Oh no, when I was thinking you might come back. Oh no. Never know, might come back from China. Right, Louis said, why did both of the proclaimers walk 500 miles to see the same girl? Any explanation here? Because they're from Fife, and if you were in Fife, you'd go 500 miles pretty quickly. I I think you'd have to walk 500 miles to find, like, civilization (laughs) from Fife. Good enough answer from Tom. Hope that I answered your question, Louis. Uh, Next from uh, Mike Gregg. Mrs. Brown's boys, why? Terrible, absolutely terrible TV. If you have any family members that watch Mrs Brown's Boys please just slap them and tell them to get out of it my, nor- my, nor- my northern family love it yeah it's just rubbish TV it's utterly crap it's a bit offensive to the former South End manager's children though <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell let's move on alright uh, <laughs> Jack and Loz, uh, how do you make the perfect prawn sandwich? It's an essential guide for Fulham fans constructing their favourite half-time snack. We need plenty of mayo in a prawn sandwich, don't you? No. No? You don't. Ooh. What? Not at all. What would what, 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 you put? Butter? Seafood sauce, mate. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> this is the biggest disagreement we've had on the show for a while. Isn't seafood sauce half mayonnaise? You make a good point. But like <laughs> mayonnaise in itself can... No, I, I'm not having that. No. I think um, if you want a good prawn sandwich you want a little bit of some chilli flakes in it as well oh, yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. certainly oh, agree with that I mean you, you've done hospitality a few times I imagine Tom I feel like you may be well versed in the uh, in the, the prawn art. sandwiches yeah I've had a few to compare <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best reply to that uh, particular question from John Lewis which was just I get my butler to do it for me <laughs> which is the way forward John very good very smart thinking there I'm not surprised there's a butler only John Lewis well, no, exactly. He's not the. Uh, I thought it might have been the John Lewis that's on Twitter. Have you seen this? Yeah, At John American, Lewis, yeah. who yeah. often gets complaints from mm. angry John Lewis customers and has to frequently <laughs> tell people that he's not a shop. Um, Colin Packard, I actually really like this question. Uh, what's your favourite Fulham moment that you think most people won't remember? Uh, Farrell Monk, let's start with you. I was trying to think of like really old ones from like my early Fulham memories. Um, I remember like. I think it might have been the first or second time like I'd ever seen like Fulham on telly. They were on Sky. I think it was like I think it was a replay against Brighton, FA Cup replay, and the penalties went down to like I think Tony Lang scored the goalkeeper scored the winner. And I remember, I mean, one I saw Fulham on TV, which was incredible at the time, and two the goalkeeper scored the winning penalty, send us to the next round. I think it was the first or second round. I can't really remember. Second round, I think, because it was December. It was just before Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a decent one. Ben? Uh, for me, I think it was when we beat Shakhtar in the Europa League because at that time, Shakhtar had an amazing team full of some very good Brazilians. Um, we had like Dario Serna as well at the time, I think. And we were massively backed against the wall and we got it done. And yeah. uh, I think that's one of the best performances I've seen from, from Fulham. Um, but often goes unnoticed in that massive run where we knocked out the champions of Germany yeah, um, and obviously Juventus and then uh, yeah 
Yeah. They had a ridiculous. It was Douglas Costa, William. William, yeah, was there. I think it's a little bit too early for Teixeira, but I think there were, there were some other people in there, like Fernando and Fernandinho were yeah. playing as well, I think. I think, like, the next season, they obviously, I think they qualified for the Champions League, obviously. Yeah. But then I think they, like, rolled over, like, Arsenal. Or so yeah, they completely they, rolled they did, them over yeah. the next season. And they had, they had a player at the back um, called Chig- Chigrinsky. I think it was his name. And he went to Barcelona the season after, or the season before. Oh, yeah, it was season after, I think. And he was voted one of their worst ever players. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Tom, uh, any fuller moments that you think most people won't remember? Yeah, I was fortunate to be at a pre-season friendly against Tiverton Town in <laughs> July 2000. Yeah. So it was Jean Tigana's first game in charge. It was before we'd signed a lot of the players that, that he... Signed. So I think it was before Saha had been signed, but maybe after Boamorte, I think. Um, but what I remember about that was, well, look, firstly, I was stuck in Exeter at this awful thing, which I don't suppose is any better now, called the Labour Party Policy Forum. <laughs> and me and Paul Kenny, who was the GMB guy who sponsored Fulham all those years ago, we didn't fancy the afternoon and Fulham were playing a pre-season at Tiverton. So we nipped off and went to this uh, pre-season friendly and it was beautiful one-touch football from start to finish. I think we only 1-2-0, but it was just the first time you could saw that and you just got a sense something special was going to happen that season and then I remember the first home game I think that season was against Crewe and did it all over again and that whole of that season we just could tell something was happening from that first pre-season game and it was just a real pleasure to be there the first of the 11 wins yeah do you know one of my favourite memories is actually a game that we lost Um, it was at Loftus Road and uh, Fulham lost 4-3 to Blackburn Rovers Mm. and it was just one of those unbelievable games. And I think Boa Morte scored a goal where he must have ran about half the length of the pitch. And we played so well. I think Collins John might have got one or maybe two goals. We were so unlucky to lose. I think John Stead scored a couple of shithouse goals for, for Blackburn. But I just remember it was one of my kind of earlier seasons, I think I made, I got one of those kind of half-season tickets. And I just remember it, a real vivid memory of uh, sitting like. Uh, side of the pitch for that game and uh, a really good one but yeah I remember really really upset that Fulham lost it I'll always remember that game we played away at Ipswich I think it was last season where we just looked absolutely unbeatable we looked so good we only won 2-0 then as well I think I was convinced we were going to win the World Cup after yeah that was the point where I was just like we something massive is going to happen and then nothing really did until December I, um, (laughs) I don't remember much of that game Yes, you were absolutely obliterated. <laughs> was that oh no, was that the one afterwards you recorded your first uh, full, reco- full face Sammy video for and Channel was, Five, and yeah. he was absolutely <laughs> smashed. <laughs> <up his face. laughs> it was that pub next to the station. I just wasn't yeah. expecting it to arrive so soon, and it was yeah. a really sunny day. Yeah. I I, lo- actually, I love Ips. I'm a, I'm ashamed they're going down, but I love Ipswich as an away day. Yeah, it's, it's, just, away day. Yeah. it's so easy to get from London. You got the away pub opposite the station entrance, and the the away pub is next, pretty much next to the away entrance. So it, yeah. it always works out quite well. A couple of uh, quick questions: Why on earth does the media think that Crystal Palace v Brighton is a derby match? <laughs> I fully agree with you there, Chris. The, the M23 derby is no, start- no, 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 no. On the M23 w- is on neither place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's I know. It's, it is. It's one of those weird ones, isn't it? Yeah, I know I that there's a long-standing history and, and like goes back to the 70s with it's Terry Venables. Mullery, isn't it? Yeah, it's but yeah. It's Terry Venables watch, watch as well. Today, there's something to do with him. Jonathan Pierce is really, really 
assertive about it. Not none of these places be on the M23. Yeah, and he goes <laughs> basically like an AA's guide to how to get from <laughs> Crystal Palace to Brighton. It's very weird. Uh, and secondly, who has the worst statue at their ground? Uh, now, yeah. Well, I mean, well, past, yeah. It used yeah. to be us. Uh, I mean, is, isn't that LA yet? Galaxy? Oh yes. <laughs> who have they got? Beckham. Really? Yeah. Is it good. the Thierry Henry one that looks nothing like? That's quite good. Thierry quite Henry. Like or that one at Madeira Airport of Ronaldo. Oh, Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo. Yeah. All right. For that that award. Well, Alan Shearer one is that still up there? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Do you remember that one? Uh, no. If um, I'll show you a photo in a minute. But it it doesn't. It looks like the head from Art Attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ipswich have got a, a very small one of Sir Bobby Robson at the back of the Sir Bobby Robson stand. But it's not that great. Yeah. There was one at Southampton. I don't know. They got rid of it. I think was it Ted Bates that looked at a really dodgy looking. It was done. Looked like it done really badly, and the face was all sort of squashed up. And didn't they have to redo the head of it or something? A sort of vague memory of something like. Yeah. At Southampton, I think, was a pretty poor one. Um, the uh, final question, and as I say, we haven't got even through like a tenth of the questions, so we're going to keep this going over the next few, over the next few weeks. But the final one is from Ollie, which is. How did Fulhamish start? Which uh, I guess I should probably <laughs> answer. Although Farrell was probably the first person that I contacted. So Farrell well, went downhill of, from there. Yeah, literally. It's never been the same. Um, I started Fulhamish because I used to work for the club and I stopped working for the club. I used to work with Gentleman Jim and I just wanted an outlet to talk about Fulham. I work in radio and I thought next bet. And, and actually it started because someone tweeted me and I'd never thought about it. But when I said, oh, I'm not going to be working for the club anymore. Um, someone tweeted me saying, oh, I'd, I'd love it if you did a podcast. I'd really listen if you uh, if you did one. So I just decided to, to do it. And luckily I kind of had the facilities that dispose of my work to start a podcast. Um, I texted Farrell and, and Farrell was instantly keen because he loves nothing more than spouting his opinions um, <laughs> on Fulhamish. And I got in contact with Jack. Then I got in contact with Ben and got in contact with Dom. And the five of us started Fulhamish. Uh, I think we did our first one after a defeat by Birmingham City at Craven Cottage back uh in kind of the first good season in the championship when uh when we reached the playoff semi-final against reading and kind of grew from there didn't it really Farrell? yeah i remember i remember getting that text and then we discussed names for a little bit um let's not talk about those names um there were some good ones and not so good ones <laughs> um and i think the next time i heard about it was I suddenly got a follow on Twitter by an account called Fulhamish. So you realised I'd, est- I'd established. Yeah, you'd uh, actually yeah. followed through with with what you were talking about. I was umming an aria over it for eight. It was one of those things with starting a podcast. It had been in my mind for like three or four weeks, and I think I'd just been dilly dallying. And it wasn't until until I started the Twitter account where I was like, "All oh, right, this is real. I kind of got to do this now. I've I've stuck it out there. I think it got five hundred follows overnight, which was which was crazy. And after that, I had to go with it. But... It's, I was looking through my DMs the other day, and you. DM me a couple of times about Fulhamish and I just hadn't replied playing hard to get I just I, you were just like Ben can you please just let me know if you want to come on this podcast and I was like yeah sure very lax days call about it and then um, there's a couple of more messages when you're like would you like to come on tonight and I was just like no nah, I'm a bit busy <laughs> and then <laughs> the, week, the week after 
Is it like, right? You sure this isn't your Tinder profile? <laughs> Sammy was, looked, took a very harsh tone with me, and the one after was just like, right, we've got one tonight at 6 pm. Are you in or not? And I was just like, yeah, go on then. And um, thankfully, despite me being a diva, you took me on. Hey, which is, which is lovely. So and then that... he said, oh, P.S., can you please follow me back? <laughs> 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 well, there we go. So um, that is all for Fulham today. Thank you, Ollie, for that question. And also Josh, who then tweeted uh, the exact same question shortly afterwards. So that is all for Fulham today. Um, so all we need to do is uh, name today's podcast. Ben gave you the honours. Uh, what would you like to name this podcast? Today I'm going to go with Outfoxed and Outfought. Outfoxed and outthought. Very, very nice work. Uh, so Fulhamish Extra will return on Thursday morning. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to uh, Sunday's game against Liverpool. Could Fulham throw a spanner in the title race? Probably unlikely, but we'll probably give it our best shot. So, uh, yeah, all the preview to the Liverpool game. Uh, we'll be speaking to the boys from the Anfield Rap, no less, uh, to get their thoughts ahead of Sunday's game. Uh, so, Saf Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Uh, and Tom, thank you very much for uh, not really a debut on Fulhamish, because you've been on Fulhamish before, but first time kind of in the studio. First time in the studio. It's been great, thanks. Uh, make sure you uh, look at the Fulham Sports Trust survey. It's out on Wednesday. Uh, and so, until Fulhamish Extra is out on Thursday, have a good one. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.